when I looked up from my drink of sorrow, the archangel Gabriel, gentle Gabriel, Gabriel, Lord of mercy, appeared to me. The archangel Gabriel said unto me, Son of Adam, son of Eve, behold, the mercy of the Father is greater than you can ever know. For even now there is a path opened, a road of mercy, and you shall call this road Golconda, and tell your children of it, for by that road may they come once again to dwell in the light. Book of Nod, The Chronicles of Cain, The Temptation of Cain. Fabled Golconda, few things stir the blood of kindred and Cainite alike as the talk of this supposed state of being that would save the soul of a vampire from eternal damnation. The Camarilla dismiss it as an allegorical fairy tale, believing its only purpose to emphasize the necessity of humanity and subsequently the masquerade. The Sabbat finds the very concept insulting, spitting in the face of what it means to be a Cainite. These idiots would transcend their former selves only to want to turn back? They deserve nothing but a swift death for their foolishness. Yet clearly the idea has some appeal to it, because no matter how hard these two sects try to erase it, to bury the very idea, there will always be whispers of kindred who can abstain from feeding, who can walk in sunlight, who need not fear the wrath of lupines, and who will never again succumb to the frenzy of the beast. Some even say that once Golconda is achieved, it is possible to become human again. Rumors, perhaps, hyperbole or fairy tales, Yet throughout Cainite history, there are many examples of prominent figures who are said to have attained this state of salvation. Foremost amongst them would be Saulot, the antediluvian of the Salubri, who was diabolized by foul Tremere. And it is from Saulot and his ilk, the grandchilder of Cain, that the legends of Golconda are said to originate from. It is told that Golconda was offered to Cain after he had rejected all offers of mercy from the god that had punished him. Despite Cain's contempt for his creator, there would always be a way back into his grace and forgiveness. As with all other vampiric stories rooted in the Abrahamaic faiths, one should be careful presuming that this is how things truly transpired. The stories of Cain may not be entirely truthful, but perhaps allegorical pearls with a core of truth within them. Or simply lessons taught in the form of stories, written down and preserved for future generations, yet their true meanings forgotten over the ages. It is said that the Inkanu, secretive vampires who have removed themselves from the jihad of their kind in the pursuit of nobler goals, will occasionally track down kindred with the potential to achieve this transcendent state in order to tutor them. But ultimately, it must be the vampire themselves who chooses to walk down this long and arduous path towards salvation. A follower of a path of enlightenment can presumably not attain Golconda. There may, of course, be something else at the end of their journey, some grand reward for attaining perfect understanding of their chosen path and their role in vampiric society. Yet it is not the salvation promised to Cain by Gabriel. Of note, however, is that despite this, it would seem that it is humanity and not faith that matters. Your religious belief thus has no impact on whether or not this mythic state is attainable. The path to Golconda is in no scripture, 
There is no one who can give you Golconda, who can teach it to you. They may help guide you on the path, but the steps taken and the sacrifices made must be yours and yours alone. Remorse is crucial for any who would seek Golconda. A vampire is a parasite and a predator. Their very existence makes their world around them worse. In order to come closer to their objective, they must therefore feel pity and sympathy for their victims, current and former, and seek to make amends. Most of the time, kindred and canines who embark on this sort of penitential quest do so not because they seek Golconda. Oftentimes they have experienced something akin to an awakening. Perhaps they saw the birth of a new life, the wedding of a young couple, or even just an innocent child at play. Something stirred within them, and they realized the sins they have committed, and they must seek forgiveness for it. They may not genuinely feel the emotion of grief and regret, their undead hearts long since having shed those frailties, but they remember it. They must atone for sins both from their undead lives as well as their mortal ones, and for older canines this might be impossible, in which case they must pay it forward in a way by actively helping their victims' descendants or their people to thrive. They must refrain from killing, making sure never to take more blood than their victim can give, and they must likewise act against the killing of mortals in their presence, making them an oddity amongst their fellow vampires. And throughout all this, the seeker of Golconda must experience remorse. It is not enough to desire forgiveness, or doing it all out of a sense of responsibility. These are not genuine reasons for regret, and will stimmy any further progress towards salvation. The vampire must also learn to ask themselves whether or not they can forgive themselves, and this might be one of the hardest challenges. A tutor guiding them may offer advice, of course, but the best thing that a kindred pursuing Golconda can be given is hope. Hope that it can be reached. Hope that it is not too late. Far too often these kindred will be mocked and ridiculed by their peers, if not outright shunned or attacked. And their acts of repentance may often invoke anger and fear from the mortals whom they owe this debt. It is a lonely, punishing road they must walk, but the hope that, at the end, there is salvation may make the journey a little bit easier. A vampire is by their very nature a creature of sin, a creature of taboo. They drink the blood of mortals to survive, and they are not a member of a community, they are a parasite upon it, and the kindred seeking Golconda must come to terms with this, and to their very utmost resist the urges that come so easily to them. The beast makes this an ever so much more challenging ordeal, and a seeker of Golconda must not frenzy. They cannot allow themselves to let their innate monstrous nature take out its aggression on anyone around them. There is an old riddle of our existence. A beast I am, lest a beast I become. The seeker of Golconda responds to this riddle with a resounding no. Certainly another vampire might need to be roughed up to protect the innocent, but even then that must be the final option, and Golconda does not bargain with its demands. A kindred who diabolizes another is said to never be able to attain this state, no matter how repentant they are. You cannot atone for the destruction of another being's very soul. Once these amends have been made, once the conscience of the kindred is clean and clear from all sins, present and past, can they enter the suspire. 
This aspire is a spiritual ordeal where the vampire enters their very soul and faces a challenge designed specifically to prod at their weakest nature. It is often related to their clan, and some witness events even before their embrace, given the capability to alter the flow of history and undo some great mistake or hurt they once did. Of course none of this is real, but instead a metaphysical struggle between the kindred and their very essence of being a vampire. No two suspires are the same, their similarities only vaguely related. It is a personal harrowing, and should the kindred be found wanting, they are locked out forever from Golconda. Many do not survive it. They are either driven insane by their failures or perish outright. Yet those who do survive it suffer the most, knowing how close they were to achieving it, yet watching their last chance of salvation slip through their fingers. It is possible to fall from Golconda once it has been achieved, an act much simpler than obtaining or retaining it. There are stories told of an Inkanu Watcher, an agent of the mysterious sect who oversees kindred affairs in the midwest of America who strayed off the path, yet these same stories also claim that they managed to once more attain Golconda. These stories are of course unconfirmed, but may hint that the state is not quite that hard to achieve if you know how it is done. One cannot of course discuss Golconda without speaking further on the topic of Saulot. One of the original third generations of Cainites, Saulot is said to have journeyed east after a long debate with two of his brothers, Malkov and Set, on the mind and where it, and matter, begins and ends. Malkov is said to have drawn an eye on his brother's forehead with his own blood before he departed, possibly giving him sight beyond sight, and when he returned from his journeys, he had in fact developed a real third eye. It is commonly believed that Saulot traveled to Asia where he studied many branches of faith and philosophy. He may be the same individual known as Zhaulat, the thief, a figure in one Kuei myth that supposedly brought great havoc wherever he roamed and who spawned several troublesome lines of one Kuei before he finally departed. It is not known how much of this story is true, but it would not be strange to consider one who wrestles with their inner beast to occasionally lapse and cause great destruction, especially one as powerful as an antediluvian. Yet Saulot must have achieved some manner of enlightenment during his journeys. Incidentally, there is a city in India called Golconda, for when he returned he was a changed man, at peace with himself and his nature as a vampire. His child or two would become healers of others, using their powers to help guide their fellow kindred to good deeds. Not all Salubi took to this mindset, however, becoming warriors and scholars instead, but seemingly Saulot may have tolerated this. It is not known how, but Saulot was found and diabolized by Tremere and his inner circle, the former mage consuming the soul of the antediluvian. After this, a great purge was enacted upon the Salubri, which saw the clan almost completely destroyed, and much, if not all the wisdom they had collected on Golconda, was lost during this time. Those who have met Salubri these nights, for there are still a few of them around, know that the pursuit of Golconda is common among them, and seemingly easier attained as well, although this may be due to their collective knowledge of it, and that there are usually no more than seven of them around. They all apparently also hold a deep grudge towards their founder, or at least those who do are quite vocal about it, some blaming the persecution of their clan by the Tremere on Saulot's scheming. 
One other thing about Sauloth has troubled scholars of vampiric history for ages. While it is true that he returned from Asia a changed man, humble, spiritually pure, and perfectly in control of his beast, a group of vampires arrived not too long after that no one had ever heard of before. These strange Cainites would wage a terrible war upon the second city, for this was the time after the Great Deluge, and Saulot would demand their complete and utter destruction, taking seemingly personal offense at these demon-worshipping Cainites. In order to do so, the warrior caste of the Salubri was formed, and the clan devoted itself utterly to the destruction of these invaders. Yet the fate of these Bali, and the true machinations of Saulot, remain to most still a mystery, and may continue to do so, as Saulot's soul was destroyed by Tremere. Their numbers are five, and they are gods, dark gods. Snow, an insightful yet compassionate master, Bambi Parsons, whose passion inspires and leads by example, Dr. Sheepington, a sage and venerable keeper of ancient wisdom, the unemployed writer whose words have guided nations through the aeons, and Dugal, the ancient and terrifying who stalks the night. These are our masters, and to worship them is to attain salvation. Their childer, the Methuselah, sit like kings and queens above us, their wills ours to obey. They are Her Satanic Majesty Dani, reborn through fire and ice, Maximilian S. Hardcastle, a master of our ancient jihad, Socrates Johnson, a scholar and mentor, the ambitious and loyal Lauren Eason, as well as the enigmatic yet influential Prozion. On the Council of the Primogen are seated Edward Reed, Colin Gifford, 06, Stonewolf 18, Jokerman, Ian Nichols, The Black Friar, and Ravenfang, wise leaders and of good judgment. They are joined by Pilgrim, who will add the knowledge gained through his journeys to our council. This week the council would wish to honor the elders What's That Smells His Blood and the Ancillae Envihan. We thank you for your loyalty. Naturally, all our elders, Ancillae, and neonates receive our gratitude from the bottoms of our hearts. Without your support, this would not be possible. And thank you for watching. Now be careful out there, for Gehenna may soon be upon us.